guys are going to want to make sure you, you see Bishop-elect Daryl Goodwin next week. He sent me a sermon topic this morning. I think it's called The Cost of Safety, and um, I think it's going to be really good. I've heard him speak just a little bit at the TFAM conference. He gave one of the prayers and a little preaching, and I think you're not going to want to miss it. So one of the reasons that we tell stories from the Bible as a community is so that we can make meaning and we can encourage each other in our faith. And I think in our current cultural context this morning, there's a story that has been on my heart for the last few weeks. And it's a story that you might not know. It's from Exodus chapter one, and it's about two women whose names are Shifra and Pua. And I'm gonna put that into the chat so you can see it, because that always helps me to see it. So if you guys haven't heard of Shifra and Pua, or maybe you've just kind of glossed over their names in the larger story. I know that's usually what I do. Um, you're not alone. Their story is mentioned in only six verses in chapter one of Exodus. But I think the fact that these women are mentioned at all actually tells us that they had a pretty profound effect because women are very rarely given names in the book of Exodus. So Ken had mentioned last week that the story of Exodus is particularly important in a lot of black churches. Black Americans relate to being from a people who were enslaved, right? So they draw inspiration and faith for their own liberation from the story of the liberation of the Hebrew slaves. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be looking at the very beginning of this liberation story today. And it goes like this. A long time ago, in a land far away, there was a time of famine and starvation. And the Israelites, who were later called Jewish people, they lived in this land of famine, and so they moved to Egypt because it had its fertile Nile River Valley so that they could feed their families. And the ruler at the time that they relocated, his name was Joseph. This is the same Joseph of like Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And Joseph was an Israelite himself, so he was a favorable ruler to them when they needed food. And so the Israelites came to live in Egypt under Joseph and they thrived. And then years passed and a new Pharaoh came to power. And we're told that he didn't know Joseph. And so this new Pharaoh started looking out on all of the numerous Israelites who had immigrated to Egypt. And he looked at them with fear and with suspicion and he saw them as a threat. And so he started a fear campaign because he wanted to pit his own Egyptian people against the Israelites. And I think we can relate to having a leader intent on pitting different people against one another. And in the text, the Pharaoh says to his people, the Egyptians, I'm going to put it in the chat box. He said, look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and they'll fight against us and they'll leave the country. Right? So this fear and this xenophobia that he had, they push him to take really drastic measures. And he starts by enslaving them. And he put slave masters over the Israelites and he worked them ruthlessly. He says he made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. But it didn't work. They kept growing in number because as we all know, in times of hardship, love still thrives. So for his next step, he thinks, okay, enslaving them isn't keeping them from growing. I know, I'll just kill all of their baby boys. And this is where we're going to pick up the text here. This is Exodus 1, 15 to 21. I'm going to put that down. You can read along with me. 
The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God, and they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and they became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them households of their own. Now it's only six verses, but there's actually a lot packed into here. Now the first thing is that scholars agree that there's absolutely no way that Shifra and Pua could have been the only Hebrew midwives. Right? The book of Numbers tells us that there were more than 600,000 Israelite men who were able to serve in the army. Right? So that's just the men who are able-bodied. But even if the population wasn't that high, two women would not be sufficient as the only midwives. And so it's fairly well accepted that Shifra and Pua were like the head midwives who probably oversaw many of the others. There's a Jewish writer named Hannah Pressman. And at this point, she invites us to ask, why do we think Pharaoh approaches Shifra and Pua directly? Right, instead of going to the leaders, why do we think Pharaoh approaches Shifra and Pua directly? And she poses that the answer is probably because they were women. They were less believable. They were perhaps thought to be easier to intimidate and control. They had no legal power, especially if they were Hebrew women. Now, there's some dissent over whether the language says that they were actually Hebrew midwives or if they were midwives to the Hebrews. But either way, they didn't have much power. And can we imagine what it must have felt like to be Shifra and Pua summoned to the court of the Pharaoh? And can we imagine what they must have felt when Pharaoh, the highest leader in the land who was thought to be a god, when he commanded them to kill the boys as soon as they emerged from the womb? And can we imagine like the initial horror of that request, that they were just unable to believe what they were hearing? And then the fear that they would have had realizing that their choice was either to kill babies or to face the consequences of that. And then also the courage that must have come into their gut as the spirit of God in them told them that they would never obey an order like that and that they stood there and they nodded their heads and they walked out. And the next thing that we're told is that they didn't do it, right? that they never killed any of the baby boys. But it begs the question, what happened between the time that they met with the Pharaoh and nodded their heads and the time that they were summoned back to court when the Pharaoh asked them why they hadn't been doing it? And so thinking about the different possible scenarios of what could have happened is what our Jewish friends call midrash, right? So midrash fills in the stories in different ways to help find meaning that's applicable, right? So this is a, a deeply Jewish practice that helps us find some wisdom and relevance in our time. And it's a practice that's being rediscovered by some Christian um, theologians and pastors. And one such person is Reverend Dr. Wilda Gaffney. Oh, good, thank you, Caroline, for putting that in. That's exactly what I'm using. 
Um, if you want to follow her, Wilda Gaffney is willgaffney.com. I'll go ahead and put that in. I'll put it in later, maybe. No, I'll do it now. It's right there. She's got a blog. So she's a womanist theologian. She's an Episcopal priest, and she's a professor of the Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity. Right, so when we talk about things like using a feminist lens for the Bible, what we're talking about is looking at scriptures to see if they know, if like women who are looking at the scriptures notice things that like might not be noticed as readily by men, right? Things that maybe are particular to the female experience or narratives that could be empowering for women. And so when we talk about using a womanist lens for the Bible, we're talking about black women in particular looking at scriptures to see if they notice things that might not be noticed as readily either by men or even by white women, right? So as a black woman, she looks at these six verses and it's like, she says, oh, I know these women. I know these women. And so she wrote this beautiful midrash, the one that Caroline posted. She wrote this midrash on them. And I'm actually going to share the entire midrash that she wrote on Shifra and Pua. And I don't do that to add to or to diminish the Bible in any way, but just to see if we can find some additional meaning and wisdom here between the lines. And so Dr. Will Gaffney, she invites us to imagine the scene this way. And as she invites us into it, maybe we could also see the women in this scene talking to some of the protesters today. Maybe we can see the application. So here's what Will Gaffney writes. I wonder if I can post this in. I probably can, if you want to read along. Here's the first paragraph. Shifra and Pua, they call all the birthing women to the symbol and they tell their overseers that they're passing on Pharaoh's instructions. One Egyptian lingers a little longer than the others. Pua, she was him out with the ancient womanist refrain, this is woman's business. He leaves. Hundreds of women come to the place of Shifra's tent and many of them bring daughters and granddaughters and nieces whom they're apprenticing in the profession. Some are pregnant, others are nursing, and it takes more than a day for everyone to gather and to eat and to rest from their journey. And there's talk, shop talk, women's words, shared experiences, new techniques, herbs to stop the bleeding, herbs to bring on labor, teas to increase milk production, ways to limit pregnancies. And finally, Shifra speaks, and she tells them the Pharaoh's words. The women gasp, some mutter, some shout, and some of the children are frightened. And Shifra and Pua, they shush them, and they call for calm, and Shifra begins to prophesy. God has brought our people a mighty long way, and I don't believe that God has brought us this far to leave us. You do not fear this Pharaoh or his warriors, not his war horses nor his chariots, God will blow them away like smoke in the wind. In our days before our eyes, God will break the back of Egypt and wash away its might. And God will raise up one of our sons to lead us and all of our children out of this house of slavery. And our hands and our wombs do God's work. We will deliver the deliverer and we will keep him safe until the day that God calls him to lead us to freedom. And we shall receive our freedom, dancing to woman's song if we trust in the mighty power of Shaddai, who drew us from her holy womb, whose spirit covers the earth. Shifra takes her seat. Pua speaks. 
trust in God whose name is holy. This is what we shall do. Deliver the babies. Hide as many of the boys as you can. Raise others as girls. Do not worry about the Egyptians. They're not going to come house to house to check on the women. They can't imagine that we would defy the Pharaoh, whom they revere as a living God. The women leave the convocation of birthing women. Days, weeks, months go by. Pharaoh's too busy to think about the Hebrew birthing women. Someone mentions the Hebrew people are still growing in spite of the Pharaoh's commandment. So he summons them back to explain themselves. Right, so if not entirely accurate, it's a pretty good imagining of what could have gone on. If the women disobeyed the Pharaoh systematically, that, that much is true. And imagine the courage that it took on the part of Shipra and Pua to lead others in defying the orders and the faith that they had that God would be with them. Right? These were like wise, convictional elders led by the Spirit of God. Now, how long did it take the Pharaoh to realize that he was being disobeyed? Months, maybe years, we don't know. But we do know that when he found out, he summoned the midwives and he said, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And Shifra and Pua, they answered the Pharaoh like this. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. Right? They are cheoth is the Hebrew word, vigorous. And that word isn't used any other place in the Bible, but it's best thought to mean something like, like a wild animal, right? So Shifra and Pua use the Pharaoh's own prejudices against him, right? They say the Israelite women, like, they're like wild animals. They just, like, plop out their babies before we can even get to them. And this seemed to have, like, rendered him a little speechless. It's, like, so confounded the Pharaoh, he doesn't even punish them. It's like they were using his ignorance to further God's justice, which seems a little bit like some of the tactics that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're told that God rewards Shifra and Pua as matriarchs. Right here, let me put the text in there so we can see it. it says, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased, and they became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them households of their own. I was reading a little bit about what some of the, the old rabbis wrote about this, and it seemed that the rabbis understand that word for households here. This word is Hebrew, it's batim, like as priestly and Levitical households, or as like royal households. So Shifra and Pua, their names are given as the head of a household, not the names of the men to whom they were related, but in this way they were honored far beyond most other women in the Bible. Now, evil wasn't completely thwarted by their actions. Right? The Pharaoh was like, fine, you didn't do it. I'll find some other people willing to do my bidding, and they'll carry out this great evil of killing small boys and babies. But it doesn't mean that Shifra and Pua's actions weren't valuable. Right? The stories of these women gave strength and courage to their generation and to the one after them so that that generation can find its own resolve. Right? They were saying, look, this is who we are. We're a people who care about life over power. And we care about people over the prosperity of the empire. And we care about obedience to God over the obedience of an unjust law. And we care about moral courage. And we have faith that God is working to free the oppressed. Shifra and Pua's names were kept alive 
and they were whispered among the Hebrew women and their names were yelled out in the pains of labor as signs of resistance and hope, right? Their courage to say, and I feared God would give Pharaoh's daughter and Moses's sister and Moses's mother the courage to protect and to hide and to find and to nurse Moses to life. These women, Shifra and Pua, started a liberation movement. And so we can draw inspiration from them just as much as we can draw inspiration from the people who work for justice in our own nation in years gone by. And we work to be inspiration for the coming generations. And we do this in the name of the spirit of the living God, of Jesus the liberator who came to free us from these chains that bind us. Shifra and Pua, I invite you to remember their names and to think about these women as you go through your week this week. And we're gonna do the call and response and I'll have, Caroline's going to put that into the chat. I'll do the call and Cassie will lead you all in the response if you would like to respond as we do this. So Lord, we groan at the manifestation of white supremacy at the highest levels in our land And as people of faith, we are outraged at its coddling and whitewashed Christianity. Those who have ears, let them hear. God of mercy, fall on us. We lament the ongoing violence against brown and black bodies in our land. Those who have ears, let them hear. Wind of God, blow on us. We confess our need for an infusion of revelation and power on the order of the mystical shaking of Sinai and Pentecost's upper room, Those who have ears, let them hear. Sire of God, move in us. O God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Open our eyes, open our hearts, strengthen our weak knees. Those who have ears, let them hear. Spirit of God, breathe on us. Blow like a mighty wind within the walls of our homes and our hearts, in our courtrooms, in our city halls, in our police stations, in our streets, our schools, our faith communities, in the citadels of corporate power, financial power, and political power. Those who have ears, let them hear. Wind of God, blow on us. It's in tongues of fire, purifying fire, the fire of the cherubim among the burning ones in the holy of holies. And let lady wisdom dance among us again. Those who have ears, let them hear. Fire of God, move in us. Remember your words, O Lord. When the oppressed suffer violence and the poor cry out in misery, I will arise, says the Lord, and I will give them what they long for. Give us the courage of Shifra and Pua, the wise and honorable women who stood up to Pharaoh and started a liberation movement. Arise, O God, and bring us with you. God of mercy, fall on us. Amen.